This is a Federal News Network podcast. The sexual assault and sexual harassment problems known as SASH we just heard about came up in a detailed review of the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. It was done at congressional request by the National Academy of Public Administration. Leading the study was Judith Youngman, a Napa fellow and former faculty member of both the Coast Guard and U.S. military academies. Our response to our findings and analysis and recommendations on SASH and SEER are really multidimensional. One of the most important findings about SASH is that as with all other major management and governance issues and its oversight bodies, including MARAD and DOT, the Academy did not have the capacity or the capabilities to really effectively address SASH. Not only SASH response, but SASH prevention, then SASH response, and then providing those who were harassed or assaulted with the mental health or other support that they need. So we found a lot of gaps in capabilities and incapacity that go back many years. This is not a new problem. And as you probably know, C-Year was also halted just a few years ago. And of course, when this one new reported incident came out in October, it was immediately halted again. Between those two events, both the Academy and the Department of Transportation and MARAD did take some actions, as well as even before the 2015-2016 era, back in even 2012, recognizing that they needed more tools and policies than were already there. And, And one of the drivers of that, and another finding of our report, is that there is a real gap at the Academy on SASH overall, between the number of incidents that are specifically reported and then the surveys taken by the Department of Defense and other organizations that are surveys of the midshipmen themselves. And the surveys of the midshipmen themselves reveal much higher, greater incidents of SASH than the official report. There's really two separate issues then here. The sexual assault, sexual harassment happening at the academy is one thing, which is right under their nose, versus those incidents that happen aboard ships during the sea year beyond the reach, at least in the immediate sense, of the academy. One little correction. I wouldn't say necessarily happening at the academy, because if you go into the DOD data banks, the Office of People Analytics, what you find is, is about half of the incidents that are reported or shared in surveys did not happen at the academy. They happened to midshipmen, perhaps while they were other places engaged in their training and development processes. And actually, that is comparable to what the other service academies find. So it's not necessarily on academy grounds. And I think that that's important to note. But what it gets at is a really more fundamental issue. And I think many people do not realize this or understand this about the federal service academies. The federal service academies, all of them, and this includes the Merchant Marine Academy, are really revolving doors of people, even more so than a college or university or any military unit. You have 
every year, you know, a whole new class of students coming in. You have a revolving door of especially training staff. You have a revolving door of some coaches. You have a revolving door among the faculty. And the key is, is that building a culture that is says SASH is not acceptable at this institution. At the Federal Academies, it is essential that it be a consistent, ongoing, annual process with clear statements um, against SASH, about SASH, that express a, a zero tolerance for SASH coming from senior leaders, not just from the academy, but senior leaders from the Department of Transportation and also MARAD, and as we've seen, the Congress as well. But more importantly, there must be structured programs run by professionals that are constant because you are constantly retraining or training new people entering that culture. Those who have been assaulted and even harassed often are afraid of reporting, afraid of repercussions if they don't feel safe in their own cultural community and in the academy environment, including the Merchant Marine Academy, what is really important, the only chance you have at being effective in your SASH programs is tying them to the academy's values, tying it to their mission, tying it to their leadership structure, and also tying it to the performance expectations for every member of the academy community. And until you create that safe cultural environment, you will have that discrepancy between survey data on SASH and what's actually reported. And we mentioned that most of the SASH or a great deal of it does not happen on Maritime Academy grounds. Aside from the sea year where people are on privately owned but U.S. flagged ships doing training, where then can it happen other than the academy that's academy related? Where does it go on, the SASH? Well, I think if you want the data, it's on the DOD. It's in the public domain. So I think you can get the data of where it would be. But at all the academies, cadets and midshipmen train outside of the academy grounds. So I think that that's just other places that they are. They're not like college students who get a nice long summer break. So they are kind of in school except for their leave time. Where then could they be where these occur that are academy and education related, but not on a at sea year ship or on the academy grounds then? Well, midshipmen at the Merchant Marine Academy, just like students at a lot of colleges and universities, and certainly the other service academies are engage in other activities that are part of the program. It could be part of training at some other location. It could be part of um, academic conferences, events at other institutions. It could be part of athletic events at other institutions. So they're constantly on the move. And it's also important to keep in mind that unlike other college students, cadets and midshipmen at the federal academies are engaged 12 months a year, except for a modest leave time. And at the sea year then, what tools do you feel and what did the panel look at? What kind of influence can it exert the academy over these ships, which are you know part of a different sort of international culture, if you will, and they're out of the immediate reach of law enforcement unless the Coast Guard boards them or something? How do you deal with that one? Because you need the sea year, and yet the ships apparently are dangerous territory for young people. Well, I'm not characterizing them as necessarily dangerous, but I think that 
I think in a way to answer your question is to compare what is there now to what was there prior to the earlier halting of C year, because things were done in the interim. Obviously, they were not sufficient things, but things were done in the interim. It is not just an academy responsibility. And part of the reason why is because, number one, the academy doesn't have the capacity and the capabilities to do a lot of this. But what was done in the interim was, first of all, the academy did listen. They did take action. One of the actions was to ensure that the midshipmen, before they reported to their commercial vessel during sea year, had access to and was aware of that company's policies and procedures in place regarding SASH and especially sexual assault. They set up a satellite phone system because when you are at sea, you are not always connected to the internet. So they set up a satellite phone system so that every midshipman at sea has a way to contact the academy directly and they have the points of contact that they can contact should they need assistance, help, or want to be removed from the ship or that kind of thing. The academy also, I guess brief is the word, briefed the midshipmen before they departed and also communicated with the midshipmen before they returned. But the key is the academy doesn't have the authority to make demands on a shipping company, even a U.S. flagged vessel. Judith Youngman is a fellow of the National Academy of Public Administration and chair of its panel on the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. She's also a former faculty member of both the Coast Guard and U.S. military academies. There's much more to this interview. We'll post it in its entirety, along with a link to the Napa report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. 
It's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.